Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks that he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Amen. Let's pray. Father, would you take your word now and open it so we might understand it. Open our hearts so we might believe it. And empower our hearts and our hands so we might serve one another in love. And in all of this, God, we know that when we have to bear our own burdens or the burdens of others, that you, our great God, daily bear our burdens for us. And you've borne our greatest burden on the cross, our sin and our shame. You've defeated death. So, Lord, lift us and raise us up into new power and new love for the sake of the gospel calling that's on us to fulfill this calling today from Galatians 6. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm sure most of you know the name Ben Carson. Ben Carson. Some of you smile when I say that name. Others might frown. Ben Carson, as you know, the young black boy who grew up in poverty with a mom who couldn't read. She was illiterate. The Ben Carson who went on to become one of our nation's most famous brain surgeons and a presidential candidate in 2016, and now is the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development in the United States. Some of you smile because maybe you're more conservative and you think, go Ben Carson with your uh, take personal responsibility agenda. Others of you might frown because maybe you're more liberal and you think he's a sellout who doesn't address the systemic issues of poverty and he's not down with the cause. Well, I know we have different types in our church, and I'm not trying to start a fight today, but... I want to quote something that Ben Carson said in a radio interview this week on Sirius XM Radio, and he drew quick criticism for saying it. He said, I think poverty to a large extent is also a state of mind. I think the word also there means you should read the rest of the transcript and not just a soundbite. I think poverty to a large extent is also a state of mind. You take somebody that has the right mindset and you can take everything from them and put them on the street, and I guarantee in a little while they'll be right back up there. And you take someone with the wrong mindset and you can give them everything in the world and they'll work their way right back down to the bottom. Now, whatever your opinion of Ben Carson, I think it reminds me of our text today because it's talking about personal responsibility and group responsibility, societal responsibility. Now, it's hard to translate directly from government officials to the Bible and the call of the church, so try to be wise in this. But you see the similarity as we read our text. As Galatians 6 alternates almost verse by verse between personal accountability and family responsibility in the church. If you read verses 1 through 10, you see that there's personal responsibility to bear your own burdens. And then there's bear the burdens of others. You're a family. You're responsible for each other. You see this alternating like a ping pong ball back and forth in our text. And the Apostle Paul, writing to the early Christian brothers and sisters in Galatians 6, is saying, we need to strike a balance. It's not just saying, hey, you're on your own. Work your way up the ladder, or I'm not giving you anything else because you're going to squander it and abuse the help that we're giving you. Paul is saying, hey, you needed help, as everyone does. 
Make sure you take care of yourself and take care of those around you. There's a, a stunning balance that our world rarely shows or talks about these days. When one member of the body is hurting, everyone should feel the pain and do something about it. I'm to carry my own weight and some of your weight. I must keep myself in check and I am my brother's and my sister's keeper. I've seen people lose everything, as Ben Carson described, by maybe fire burning their apartments down. That was some of you. Or perhaps injustice by a landlord or maybe a health crisis, and everything was taken away from you. Maybe it was your own bad decision or criminal activity that got you where you were, but the fact is, we've all needed help. And we're all called to give help. And we can't just say, I'm assuming that your state of mind will help you on your own without any extra assistance to climb up to the top. Can't make that assumption. I'm not sure that Ben Carson was really saying something that simplistic in the soundbite that we have heard. But it's true that even the self-starters, the resilient people, the creative and strong people need help. They need resources from others too. They can't do it all on their own. That should be obvious. The danger that we all might miss today if we just read Ben Carson and take a side, one side or the other, is that none of us have ever, can still, or will ever be able to survive on our own. None of us are more worthy of help than the other. We all deserve, think about spiritually now, not government assistance. What do we all deserve, Christians? Go ahead and say it. It's hard to say we deserve help. That's what we deserve. What have we been given? Grace. What have we been called to give? Grace upon grace to each other. We all need help. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, writing in that great resurrection chapter, saying the resurrection power and grace of God has enabled me to work harder than any other apostle. Even in his work ethic, the Apostle Paul gives God the credit for the gift of grace which enabled him to stay the task and to be faithful in the gospel ministry. None of us has made it on our own. Some of us have been given very little, and we've made very much out of that. Some of us have been given a lot, and we've blown it. We've hardly done anything with all the good gifts God's given us. That's why I like being at Living Hope, because I see people who have so few resources. One of you told me even yesterday, you would never know that I have such few resources. And I wouldn't have known. Because this person carries such dignity in conversations and in life. All of us, Paul is saying, need to realize that it's the grace of God through the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, he says in chapter 5, that allows us to help one another. If you can imagine keeping in step with the Spirit, if you imagine the Spirit of God leaving footprints in the sand, like that picture you've all seen, it also includes a line of footprints because we are called to walk shoulder to shoulder as we follow the Spirit. It's not some personal relationship that privately takes you off on a beach somewhere with just you and God. We're talking about keeping in step with the Spirit by walking arm in arm, hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, bearing one another's burdens. Personal accountability and family responsibility. Those are the key phrases. That's the tension. That's the spectrum. But it's not either or, like you've got to choose either personal accountability or group family responsibility in the church. It's both and. It's like a seamless garment woven from two different fabrics stitched together. And here we have the call of Galatians 6. It's a tightrope act. It really is. You know the famous tightrope walker that went across Niagara Falls? First, he carried himself across. Then he carried someone on his back and in a wheelbarrow. You, you get the point. We are supposed to carry our own weight and serve others and help them bear their burdens as well. 
Personal accountability, one side of the equation, one side of the balancing act. We could say personal accountability means not just a responsibility, but think about it like freedom, because Galatians 5 is all about freedom, and it leads into Galatians 6, which is also about freedom. How do you use your freedom? You don't use it to do whatever you dang well please. You use it to bear your responsibilities, to bear your own load, to carry your weight. You, don't, you can't just say, I can do whatever I want because I'm free in Christ. No, you're free in Christ to do what God has called you to do and to obey his word. Okay? But it's not just that you're called to bear your own weight. Freedom and personal responsibility includes helping other people, carrying their weight too. So we're already getting into the other side of the equation, which is family responsibility, looking out for one another, mutual love and concern. Family responsibility means, once again, freedom... Don't think about this as a rule or legislation like, I'm supposed to come and tell you your problems. That's my job, is to keep you in line. No, think about it as a freedom. We are free to both give loving correction, to restore the sinner, as Galatians 6 says, and we're free to receive correction. Hey, I do wrong too. Please, let me know lovingly when you see me do something out of step with the Spirit or out of step with the, the call for the church. Our mission at Living Hope includes this phrase, we are called to share our resources and our responsibilities. I'm not sure if that's a unique phrase. I thought it as I was looking at our mission statement, but it's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? We are called to share our resources. God's given us all resources. Not all the same resources or the same amount, but we've all have been given resources, and you're called to share your responsibility. I don't care if you say, I don't have anything in this world, you still have responsibility, and you need to help us. We can learn from you. We can serve together, as Alex said from 1 Corinthians 12, as the body of Christ. Different gifts, diverse opinions, but we're all one, stitched together in this balancing act. The structure of chapter 6 begins with that personal responsibility. Brothers and sisters, we can add, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, notice he doesn't say, brothers and sisters, go catch someone sinning and get them. Get them, sick them, you know? He doesn't say that. Like the, the hypocritical men in John chapter 8 who found that woman, caught her in adultery, dragged her out, perhaps half-dressed or not dressed at all, covered in a sheet maybe, maybe dragging her by her hair. These men had had it. They caught her in sin. And Jesus says, which of you are without sin? Let him to be the first to cast the stone to stone her. We're not called to go catch someone in sin here. We're called if someone is caught in sin. That means if sin has caught them, if they've been caught up and overtaken by sin, then you approach them gently and restore them. But careful, watch yourself. You are just as vulnerable. You are just as weak. You might, in, in your approaching them in their sin, you might end up doing the same sin. That happened to me once in college. A guy came and was just sharing his heart with me. Keep me accountable, please. Pray for me, Brad and... Next thing you know, I was doing the same things that he was doing. Be, beware. Be careful. Lest you fall as well. Who is called to go to the sinner in their sin and point out their sin and then restore them? Who's called to do that? Who's the type of person? Look at it. Chapter 6, verse 1. You who are spiritual. Now, what does it mean to be spiritual? Does it mean you're religious? You have a really fat Bible? Does it mean you come to church every Sunday? Does it mean you feel better than other people, like holier than thou? You just know that you're better than these other people. You have to go point out their sin. No, that's not what spiritual means. It means you who are 
following the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God. It tells us just a verse before, in chapter 5, verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. How do we get this humility of gently approaching someone in a spiritual manner? Don't be conceited. Well, how do we not be conceited? Look at chapter 5, verses 24 to 25. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. And verse 25, live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Do you hear this? You were bought by the blood of Jesus. He owns you. You were purchased, it says, and belong to Jesus. Who do you think you are? If you're spiritual, it means you're humble. You know your place. You know you didn't deserve anything that has the word grace on it. That's why it's grace. And you know that every ounce of power in life you have is from the Spirit. I live by the Spirit. I walk by the Spirit. I come and talk to you right now by the Spirit. Humility and gentleness. He says, approach that person when you're restoring them in a spirit of gentleness. Now that should ring bells in your ears from Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit's fruit includes the fruit of gentleness. We looked at that last week. So you go to that person in the spirit of gentleness because the spirit is giving you gentleness. And you don't even say, I'm gentle, therefore I deserve to approach you. No, even your gentleness comes from God. It's all of grace. Everything you have is from Christ. You remember how in Proverbs 27, verse 6, we're told that correction is difficult to receive, but it's life-giving. Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend are faithful. Has anybody ever spoken a word to you that hurt? but you knew it was right. Later you realized that was truth. I needed to hear it and it helped me to change. Raise your hand if you've ever heard a word of rebuke that actually helped you and you could later embrace it. Wounds from a friend are faithful, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Mm, I love you. You know, I hear preachers like this. I'm not going to name any names, but let me just encourage you. You know, let me encourage you all the time. Never point out your sin. Just encouraging you all day long. Never rebuking you. That's not your friend. A friend might wound you with words of truth, but they do it gently, humbly, and they do it to restore you, to bring you back. When we correct someone, we also must be willing to be wounded in a sense as well. I mean, somebody might say, I'm not your friend anymore. Or they might say, well, if, if you want to correct me so much, why don't you help me with my problem? And then it's going to become a burden to you as well. See, you want to correct that person in their burden? Well, take their burden on and help them. The process of correction includes you bearing their burden. Amen? Amen. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for correcting people without helping them. He says, you go around condemning people, I'm going to condemn you. Because what you do is you tell them what to do and you don't lift a little finger to help them. Think about Moses as a contrast. Remember Moses fighting the Amalekites on that battle and God says, as long as your hands are raised in victory to the God of armies and to the the God whose banner is waved across the Israelites, you will be victorious. Keep your hands up. Moses was old. His hands started drooping. So what did his friends do? They lifted his hands, they put a rock under him, they held his hands up until the battle was won. We get tired. We get burdened. I know some of you are tired right now. Your heart is drooping. Your head is drooping. You need a brother and a sister to come alongside you, lift your hands, lift your head, encourage your heart. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He's the great German pastor and theologian that was under Hitler's reign in Nazi Germany. He came to America, safe place, to teach in a seminary, but he just felt like, I have to go back and do something about the Nazis. 
So he went back, started a secret seminary underground, had a few students, they had life together. He wrote a book called Life Together, and he was eventually hanged for treason for speaking out against the Nazis and Hitler. Listen to what he said. He knew about life together. He knew about brothers living in close community. He said, The Christ in a man's heart is weaker than the Christ in his brother's word. He's not saying Christ is weak or that Jesus inside of you is not powerful. He's saying sometimes you forget. Sometimes you get tired. Sometimes you get weary. And the faith that you have in Christ, it almost vanishes. But the Christ in your brother or sister's mouth is powerful. You need a word of encouragement. You can't encourage yourself all the time in isolation. You need someone else to come to you and speak the word of Christ to you. A powerful, loving, gentle word to lift your heart and your head. Love is what we're talking about. We need family, responsible love. We need to look out for each other. Chapter 6, verse 2 of Galatians says it like this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Remember what Paul said in chapter 5, verse 14? Just quoting Jesus, love is the fulfillment of the whole law. He says the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love these people around you right now? Are you bearing their burdens? Are you, are you aware of what their burdens are? And do you care about them enough to say, I would like to help? That's the question. Our view of Christ and his law, our view of God and his law, determines almost, shapes how we think about each other. If I think that God is harsh to me and requires me to earn mercy, then I will be harsh to people and require them to earn the mercy that I give them. Ah, not good enough. You didn't work hard enough. You messed up. I'm not giving you mercy. If we think of God like that, that we're having to jump through hoops, then we'll make people jump through hoops. But if we see that all that we have, everything that we are, is because of Christ Jesus' grace, then we'll be very gracious with other people. We'll be on the journey of learning how to be more loving like our Savior. If Christ's mercy and righteousness is all that I'll ever need, then I don't really need your approval to give you help to bear your burden. That's very important. Because it gets very tiring bearing some people's burdens. And you might say, that's it, I'm done. You haven't thanked me or paid me back. But if Jesus is constantly sourcing you with love and grace and saying, yes, I approve of what you're doing. I will reward you. I am with you. Then you can keep going the journey all the way to the end in bearing others' burdens. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul said to the Galatian believers, what really counts in the church? They were asking him, does circumcision count? Or does uncircumcision count? Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles. And he says, neither of those count. What only counts is love, faith working itself out through love. Faith working itself out, doing loving deeds to each other. That's what counts. That's what proves your faith, not whether you're circumcised or not. Are you loving one another? That's the question. We're not called to burden each other with excessive burdens. Hey, you need to be circumcised if you want to be right with God. That was a burden that they didn't have to bear. Bear their burdens for them in love is the call. Galatians 6.3 If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. I talked to a few of you about this verse this week and last verse. What do you think about this verse? Some of you were saying, I don't know. I mean, am I really nothing? Does God say, you're nothing? No, it's saying in comparison with other people, you're nothing special. You're just like everybody else. Don't think of yourself higher than you really are. That's the point. If you think you're something when you're really nothing more special than anybody else, then you deceive yourself. You've made a fatal mental mistake. 
pride. See, once again, it gets back, gets back to humility here. Don't be self-deceived. 1 Corinthians 3, listen to what Paul himself, the great apostle who wrote 13 books of the Bible, planted churches all over the, the world of his day. He said, okay, I planted some churches. I started the churches. Apollos, one of my friends in ministry, came and watered. That means he discipled the people. He helped them grow up. But he says, God gave the what? The increase or the growth. I planted Apollos water, but God's the one that we give glory to because he's the one that grows us. I just did my little job. Now, if the Apostle Paul says, I cannot boast over any other apostle or leader, then what makes us think we can boast and think that I'm better than someone else? He says, if you think you're something, check yourself. Look at Paul's attitude. He could have boasted more than any of us, and he was humble. God gives the growth. That's the point of the Holy Spirit giving us fruit. Galatians 5, once again. Every ounce of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the gentleness we've talked about, it comes from Jesus and his Spirit working in you. You can't take credit for that. Don't be deceived. Grace, grace, grace. That's all, we, that's all we get from God is grace. And that's all we should be giving to each other. One writer says, we walk with our shoes untied, but our insurance paid up. Let that sink in. We walk with our shoes untied, but our insurance paid up. We're sinners. We make mistakes. We trip and fall. But Christ has got you covered. By his blood, you're covered. You're secure. You're a sinner, but you're secure. So you can treat other people with humility and grace when they trip and fall. You heard me? All right. Martin Luther said this. How long have you put up with your own sins? Hmm. A while, yeah. Okay. Then learn to put up with the sins of others to the same degree. Patience with other people. You're patient with your own sins all the time. And you're like, hey, I'll, I'll let myself slide this time, you know. I'll do it again. It's okay. God will forgive me. You say all these lies to yourself. But if, if we're patient with our own sins, how much more should we be patient with other people's sins? John 15, Jesus says in verse 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't deceive yourself and think you're something when you're not. You can do nothing apart from me. But then he turns around and says, I have called you friends. And if you remain in me, and in this friendship with me, you will bear much fruit, fruit that will last. You see, he says, you're nothing, and he says, you're everything. <laughs> you can't do anything. You deserve hell. You're my friend, and I love you and died for you. I took hell for you. And you will bear fruit that will last if you just stay close to me. Including bearing fruit that will last like bearing other people's burdens. You can keep bearing other people's burdens that will last. You will keep going the distance, he says. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. So, what happens when someone comes to our church and says, I have a burden, I need help? You say, well, looks like you didn't check all the boxes off on our application form properly. Looks like you didn't live life as wisely as I did. Looks like you made some bad choices in life, and I don't think we're going to help you today. Is that what we do? Of course not. Anybody can walk in these doors and tell us what they need. We don't always give them exactly what they ask for, but we want to give them something. We want to give them something helpful. So let's just say someone walks in and says, I need food. We never turn them away for food. What if they say, I need clothing? Well, you know, we have clothing. If we have a second, we'll let you sort through it and find some. Or if you come to HopeWorks and try to get a job, we have business attire you can get. If they say, I need prayer, well, I hope we have time to stop and pray for this person. I hope that we will take time to be their friends and brothers and sisters and bear their burdens with them. But, but we, we don't just give relief, like, okay, here's what you need, here's what you need, here's what you need. Sometimes we want to develop a friendship, a relationship, make progress, and that's called development. 
not just handouts and relief work, but development. We want to develop relationships, family relationships. We want to help this person make progress so they don't need a handout anymore, but they're the ones resourced and equipped to go give help to others. We say, let me bear your burden today. And the goal is that you'll be bearing someone else's burden later. The goal is that you don't continue to be a burden and create new burdens in the world. The, the goal is you reduce the number of burdens that are out there, and it multiplies. If all of us who have burdens today will just help share each other's burdens, it will strengthen our church, and as we go bear more burdens out in the streets and in this neighborhood and in our schools and our workplace and our families, the, the effect will multiply. There will be fewer burdens in your immediate circle to have to bear. And you can go find some more burdens. Just look further outside. Because the, the call never ends until Jesus comes back. My goal, when someone says, would you help me bear my burden? My goal is to help them bear their burden so that they can become stronger and begin carrying burdens themselves for other people. Galatians 6 teaches accountability and responsibility. Our mission is to share our resources and our responsibilities with the church. And I stand here today in this pulpit, on this platform, because other people have borne my burdens for me and the burdens of this church. Did you know that 75% of my salary comes from outside of Living Hope Church congregation? 25% comes from the goodwill of people like you. But most of it comes from people outside who say, I believe in that mission, I'm going to help this church. Did you know that half of our church budget comes from people outside of Chicago? They're bearing our burdens for us. We have burdens, they're helping to the praise of the glory of God. We are having our burdens borne. I live as a, an example of someone who's been helped tremendously over the course of my ministry because people say, I believe in this work, I'm going to give to it. I don't earn my paycheck. It's a... It's a it's a gracious gift from God through His church. And I want to be a good steward, and I want us at Living Hope to be good stewards of every penny and every, uh, every ounce of trust that someone has given us. That's why I say, hey, turn the water off in the bathroom. Don't let it run all night long, you know? That's why I say, uh, let's not go buy the most expensive cuts of meat for our barbecue. We did go to Costco. Thank you very much, Allie, for doing that. You know, we didn't go to the bottom, but... Let's be careful with the money that we've been given and the money that we give to be good stewards of the resources. Responsible, accountable. There are some people that come into the church and they say, this is a great place. It's a small church. It's family friendly and we have these relationships. You can get to know each other here. And some people stick around for two or three years and I'm talking about college students. I'm talking about people from the neighborhood. They say, I like the personal touch. We have a pastor that will counsel me personally and people that will get, call me and text me throughout the week. They know me. But then two or three years pass by and what happens sometimes? They're gone without a trace. Some people just disappear. Where do they go? I don't know. Sometimes they let you know and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just vanish into thin air. They take that love and that relationship. They let you bear their burden and they're like, great, I'm better now. I'm out of here. Wow. What happened to the family accountability and responsibilities that we share here as a body of Christ? What happened to the vows that we took as members where we said, I will do everything in my power to preserve the unity and the peace of this place? There's people who come and, let me keep it real, we've helped some church members pay their rent before, we helped some church members buy cars before, you know, we make our contribution, and guess what? Often the case is, as soon as you make that donation, they're gone. Trust, trust me. It's almost like, I expect it to happen now. 
It's, it's sad. I'm cynical, I know. But it happens so much more than it doesn't. That I say, okay, when we give this great amount of help, watch what happens. Set your timer. They're not going to stick around long. We're called to bear one another's burdens and stay put so that when another burden comes from someone else, you can bear that burden too. Oh, you got a car now? Why don't you pick up the person and bring them to church next week? We've been driving you for the past two years. Okay, let's just keep it real. All right? You, you want to help someone and loan them some money or do something nice? Guess what? They're going to take advantage of you. I guarantee it. They're going to steal from you. Oh, yes, they will. Happened to some of us this week, right? And guess what? God says, keep showing them grace. He doesn't say just... Let your guard down and let them trample all over you and let them go steal from you and someone else and perpetuate this crime. No. But he says, call them on it, hold them accountable, tell them the rules of the family, what God expects of them, responsibility, but then keep showing them love. Give them another chance. Just keep your eye on them, okay? Don't leave them alone with the kids, is what I'm saying, okay? Personal accountability, family responsibility, each looking to his own load and bearing the loads of others. Galatians 6.4, pay attention to your own work. Then you can have personal satisfaction and joy before God. Chapter 6, verse 4, let each one test his own work, and his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. I thought we weren't supposed to boast as Christians. What he's saying is this, worry about yourself. So at the end of time, when Jesus judges you, you will say, okay, I did what I could. I'm not comparing myself to others. That's the point. Stop comparing yourself to others. I tell my kids all the time, when they say, it's not fair, look at what she's got, look at what she's got. I say, worry about your own what? Box. See? They know. I didn't tell them to say that. They just, I said it enough, it's ingrained. Worry about your own box. You have a box. God's given you good things, blessings. We've put good things in there. That's your box. Your sister's box is over here. Don't even peek in that box. Don't worry about her. You want the same thing she got? Oh, I can make that really nice for you. Yeah, you want to have what a little baby has? You want, to, you want me to take all the big girl privileges away and give you what the younger sister has? Okay, okay, we don't want to be fair. and it, you know, We don't want to be copycats. We want to worry about our own box. Test yourself. Worry about your own gift, what God's called you. He's put something in your pack. It's a load. You carry that. And if you've got strength to go on a little further, you can offer to carry someone else's for a while. That's what Jesus and John the Baptist told us to do. When someone says, would you carry my bag? What do you say to them? How, how far do you want me to go? A mile? Well, let's go two miles. I'll carry my load and your load, and I'll carry your load even more than you want me to. Because I've got so much joy and power that God has given me. For this moment. Now, maybe today I'm tired, and I need you to help me carry my load. It works both ways. Each has to pay attention to their own load. When I was in high school, I went on a, a camping trip with my dad and a, another dad and his son, who was a couple years younger than me, we were all in high school. The, the two boys were in high school. And we went to the Grand Canyon three days. Started at the North Rim, went down into the canyon, and then back up to the South Rim. And we had about 40 to 50 pounds in our packs. We had jugs of water to carry in. And day one, the younger guy started getting tired and woozy, and he drank all his water, just chugged it all down, and he couldn't carry his own weight. So what do we do? The three of us men, even though I was in high school, I consider myself a man then, because what I did is I took distributing the weight equally in our pack, and we added weight. You know, I was carrying now 60 pounds in my pack for three days. And sharing my water with homie who drank all his, because I liked him. He was my friend. Like, what are you doing, dude? Get in shape. Come on, bring some more water. Um, hydrate before you go to the Grand Canyon. We carried our load and his load. 
and I admit there was a bit of pride in that, and I still have a little bit of pride today that I need to work on. But the fact is, this is the call. Okay? God's saying, you're going on a journey. I'm giving you a certain amount for the trip. You're going to meet people along the way who need help. If you've got the strength, help them. It'll come back to you later too. Someone will help and pay you back as well when you need it the most. So, verse 5, each one will have to bear his own load. Verse 5, each will have to bear his own load. I think this is a reference, a, a, a veiled reference to not just you've got to carry your own weight, but like think about judgment. Think about the end. You're going to be tested. You're going to have to give an account for what you were given. God gave you certain resources and responsibilities, and you're going to have to give an account for that. Think about judgment. I like what John Stott, um, great theologian and pastor from uh, Britain, said. He said, the last day when I can no longer carry your burdens and you can no longer carry mine, each will be judged on how we carried our own load and how we helped another's burden. I think that's my paraphrase of John Stott, so hopefully I got it close enough. He says, imagine on the day of judgment, God's not going to say, okay, it's time for you to carry someone else's weight. He's going to say, no, how did you do with what I gave you? That would be the day when you can't help anybody else with their burden, and nobody else can help you. Just you before Jesus, standing in the light of his presence, and he'll say, how did you do with what I gave you? And part of what I gave you was responsibility for other people. So when you came to that person on the road, did you help them pick up their load too? It wasn't just about what you could do with, with, with yours for your sake and for your happiness. It's about helping bear the load of others. That's part of you bearing your own load too. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, just flip back a few pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. Paul, once again, comparing himself to other apostles, justifying his ministry and how he, how he ran things, he says this, 1 Corinthians 4.3, But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm, there, I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. He says, I don't even know exactly how I should rate myself. I'm not sure if I'm carrying my own weight well enough and doing enough as an apostle. Let's leave that for God at the last day. But what does he say? Verse 5, don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose or reveal the purposes of the heart. God knows your heart. He knows if you're weak and can't handle the pressure of today and you need help. He knows that. And I'm not going to judge you for that. Neither will he. He knows your heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. And then skip to verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? He's saying everything's a gift. If you think you're doing pretty well, check yourself. Just look again. God's the true judge. He'll tell you on the last day how you really did. So wait patiently. Don't say, hey, I'm, I'm doing great. Bear your own load. Help other people. And he says, recognize that every ounce of strength you have and every gift is truly a gift of grace. You can't say, I earned it. I did it in my own power. Let me close with this. It's a, it's a quote from one of my friends who uh, blogged this a couple of weeks ago. He's a pastor friend of mine. I might actually see him in a few weeks at our national conference for the, the church in North Carolina. But he said this. A mirror arrived at the office this week, in his church office. The mirror 
was a man. Okay, I'm paraphrasing some of his words, so if he's listening to this at some point, I've reduced and paraphrased some of his words. The mirror was a man. He walked in 450 pounds of very sweaty need, covered thinly in a filthy wife beater t-shirt and filthy old jeans. He was looking for money, though he said he wasn't. The details didn't all add up. In these situations, they rarely ever do. By the time he finished, whatever else was true, I knew one thing for certain. Here was a man standing at the end of a long series of poor choices. What to do? With a phone call, I verified as much of his story as I could, and I covered his bill from the church's benevolence fund, or like their mercy monies. He helped him out. But then he starts asking the question, what kind of poor people do we like to help? Hmm. Usually the kind who, through no fault of their own, after all their best efforts, have fallen into hard times. That means it's not really their fault. It's just the way the world was set against them. But they, they're great people. That's the people we like to help. Such poor people rarely exist. And if we only wait for people who deserve help, we will find ourselves unwilling to help anyone. We will look down our noses at them and think, you dug your own hole. Or, no point helping them, they'll not learn anything from a handout. That's when this hurting, needy man became a mirror to me. And in him, I saw myself standing before God. When God extended mercy towards me, was there anything noble about my poverty or yours? Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My friend goes on to say in closing, we were weak, unable to lift a finger to help ourselves. We were ungodly, hostile to God, and we were sinners, lawless, guilty, rebels, and so were filthy in his sight. I'll just add, we deserve God's wrath once again, not even deserving leftovers or scraps from the table. And my friend goes on to say, and there we stood at the end of our long list of poor choices. And yet God loved us inexplicably, extravagantly, wholeheartedly. No expense is spared. No hesitation. Christ was sent down for us. First he became flesh. Then he became sin. Then as Galatians 3.13 says, he became a curse for us. Because of Christ we have peace. 24-7 access to the royal court of grace. The hope of future glory and joy in the face of current trials. God knows exactly what you're going through and exactly what you need. So come to him today with all your need. Don't downplay your difficulty to the people that care about you. But don't exaggerate it either and try to con anyone. This is just my, my word now. God knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what you have. So come exactly as you are and heed the words of Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burdens on the Lord, for he cares for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to cast our burdens at your feet. Everything you've given us is grace. Even the trials that we go through are helping us to mature and grow and to cast our eyes back to you, the source of our help, to say, help, mercy, have mercy on me. 
Thank you for the burdens that we have to bear. Thank you for the strength that allows us to bear them. Thank you for brothers and sisters who come into our church who have more burdens that we get to share and bear. Thank you for some who are strong and some who are weak and that we sometimes trade places. We need each other. We are the body. Many different needs, many different gifts, many different resources, many different responsibilities, but we are one. We are one family. Help us to live with personal accountability and family responsibility in a way that would please you, Jesus, who took all of our burdens on the cross, all of our sin, all of our shame. You took our death onto your own soul and you died for us. But you have also risen to the highest place. You're exalted and you're pouring your spirit out on us for all that we need is still to be found in you. So we commit this day to you. We commit once again Alex and Christina to you. We thank you for uh, this weekend where we celebrate Memorial Day and the people who have literally given their lives for the freedom in our country. We thank you for Jesus who has literally given his life for our freedom. We remember that. We don't forget. We are humbled by it. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.